Hello, and welcome to Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of the podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. Firstly, I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia and Raw Grip Chalk, for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. And if you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality in the market right now. Head over to their Instagram pages to get some products. Today, I'm sitting down with Larry McEwen, head coach of Team Big Cat, who has not only become an elite-level powerlifter, but has done so despite his battle of multiple sclerosis. You're not going to want to miss this jam-packed episode as we talk motivation, training environment, and more. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. So Larry, thanks for coming on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so for those that, that don't know who you are, uh, who are you? What is Team Big Cat? Uh, How did you get involved with powerlifting? Uh, who am I? Um I think I'm just a guy that uh, played sports his whole life and then kind of fell into powerlifting through weightlifting and just uh, figured out through weightlifting I was getting pretty good at it, getting strong pretty quick. So then powerlifting just uh, became an interest uh, from seeing other people online, kind of copying what they were doing and kind of got into that. Um, big Team Big Cat is an accident, actually. Uh, I did my first powerlifting meet a couple of years ago, uh, did okay at that. And then I had a whole bunch of people reach out that wanted help. So after that meet within a month, I think I had about 10 clients. Um, I capped it at that because I didn't know what I was doing and I kind of was open with that. And then um, my philosophy at that point with no certifications, no experience coaching powerlifting at all, just kind of training myself. Uh, was that I don't really know what I'm doing yet, so we're going to be figuring out. And if you're still interested in kind of getting help from me, I'm happy to work together. And then over the course of the last couple of years, it's became a pretty successful thing. And um, I don't think I've had a single client not progress and kind of either stay with me or end with me and move forward and with a stronger base and, little bit more athleticism in their in their uh, routines so that kind of answers both of those yeah well no and i i can definitely attest to that as well i mean with working with you for just a few months i put 100 pounds back in my squat and went from benching 200 to 280 in about eight weeks so i can yeah. certainly attest to that that the system works so whatever the hell you're doing it's efficient and <laughs> keep doing it yeah i think uh, uh, what i'm trying to do mostly is like uh, you know i guess too is the week to week, uh, and I'm sometimes I'm changing midweek what the plan needs to be. So I just think there's a lot of times programs are going out and they're, you know, two weeks at a time isn't so bad, but then we get a month at a time. Some guys are given entire blocks at a time, and I just feel like it's not necessarily hands on enough. At least for my experience, it's not hands out hands on enough to make the required adjustments to kind of keep people in the right direction. Whereas yeah. if this way, I can kind of mold it the way it needs to go, see what people respond to and kind of just make changes as needed. And the open line of communication, I know what's aching. If, you know, I know a chronic one that seems lots of people get the low bar 
low bar back squat elbow and forearm tendonitis slash pain and when that acts up why do we want to just keep you know you know picking at that scab when there's alternatives and then so we can avoid those things and keep people as healthy as we can and then they can get a little bit more progress in a shorter amount of time instead of fighting all the kind of all the stuff that comes with being stubborn yeah yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree completely and and that's definitely something you saw with me with my squat is <clears throat> when i switched to low bar that elbow tendon i started flaring up again so yeah. definitely being able to adapt and stuff i think yeah i mean i had a coach probably a year and a half ago i say a coach a guy who worked with me uh and he pretty much just wrote me 10 weeks at a time and was just like have fun with that and you know six weeks in i get injured and there's not too much i can do about it because there's no adapting yeah so, no, that that's yeah, I agree. Well, there's no screening a lot of the time too. Like you gotta, what's going on? What's causing the tendonitis, or what's causing whatever pain we're talking about? Like, is it a mobility issue? Is it a grip issue? Is it a hand placement issue? Like, what's going on? Is it an actual biomechanical issue? Is it the is it your lower body's like shitty in the squat, so your upper body's doing a bunch of compensation? Like, everyone's gonna move a little bit different, so kind of really have a or at least try to have a keen eye and then maybe even share what you see with other people that you trust and kind of come to a conclusion of what's going to work for that person is important. You can't, you can't make those adjustments on a 10 week build that you just send a guy or a girl. Exactly. Exactly. So, so kind of along that same track, I mean, when you, when you look at uh, clients or athletes that you're working with, uh, is, is there a screening process for you as you're looking at, hey, there's certain people like you just don't have the mentality. Like, I'm not going to spend my time working with somebody that's not going to put in the work. Like, as you kind of jump in with people, what are some of the the attributes you're looking at athletes when you recognize, man, this guy has the ability to really go to the top? Or this is someone that, hey, man, like, I don't want to discourage you, but this might not be the right track for you. Um, I've been pretty fortunate in the sense of not having to really pursue people. Um, when I first started and I wanted to kind of boots from 10 to whatever, I sent out a kind of a feeler for that kind of stuff, but I don't really think anybody doesn't have it. Uh, I think I try to make that part of my job is to try and teach that side of things too, where I think that can be a learned skill as much as, you know, doing a proper squat or whatever else is like learning to, I don't know, like, I like, I like the phrase flip the switch. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of learning that skill and with practice i think you can you can make it your thing um some people are obviously much easier and it comes much more natural and it's kind of like what they live for so to speak mm-hmm. um those people are quite a lot uh, quite a bit easier because you don't have to struggle through that motivation piece because they just kind of intrinsically motivated um but yeah mental screening not so much i'm happy to just kind of work with people and everyone has a bit different goal some people are powerlifting for life some people are powerlifting for fun you know so kind of again it comes back to that communication piece so like what am i trying to help you do do you want to squat 900 pounds i have a couple people that are kind of that's their goal um that's going to look a little bit more serious and if they're gonna you know whine and moan about every third session or something like this like that that's kind of got to come a little more more intrinsically that can't come from me but if your goal is to just you know make make uh provincials or states or nationals or whatever your your goal is like it doesn't necessarily take an all-in mindset and you can do it as a hobby um uh with a little bit less of that intense um 
maybe obsessive drive that sometimes it can take to be at the higher level. Um, athletically screening, everyone just – I just asked for a pretty basic run-through. So I want to see what their their foundational movements look like for powerlifting, so the squat, bench, and deadlift. And then from there, I, I will – typically ask for a little bit more from what I see on that because from seeing those three that's what we're doing in powerlifting so those are the movements we need to get good at so if there's restrictions in those movements then I'll kind of pick apart what those are and ask for additional drills uh, to be either sent to me if it's a you know a distant client which probably about half the team is at this point uh, or just kind of do a run through in person of um, kind of their own individual assessment of what's going on with their movement. So that would be the physical side. Okay. Yeah, well, and, and I know you kind of got that that group of guys right there training with you, uh, with Jackson and Xander and Clark and all them, kind of you've got this really intense training environment uh, that I think a lot of people see on, on Instagram. And I'm sure people in that gym can be intimidated by uh, that intensity. Uh, yeah, we keep getting kicked you- out of places. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've seen you move between three or four gyms over the course of knowing you. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, we're nice to people, and that's kind of the sad the sad piece is, like, uh, there's never been a person that's approached us that's been, you know, mistreated, and if they were, I'm the first one on somebody's ass about it, right? So um, it is it, – it, it's – it can be, I completely understand, it can be an intimidating thing to walk into a gym and see five or six guys that are 280-plus pounds, and then the other five guys that are sub-250, but they're all pulling 650. Like, right. That's a, that obviously, that becomes a pretty um, intimidating environment. But uh, we do our best and just try to even just to say hi, break the ice first, because I feel like that, that sometimes will kind of help with that instance. But um with that initial kind of feeler for us but yeah yeah well and and i mean you know for you guys obviously that that training intensity works uh but i know for some other people you know i know a couple guys who they're they're gonna be joking around they're kind of just like quietly they're practically listening to classical music and then they're gonna go and squat 750 and so i mean when, when you think training environment uh for you obviously you're the one that works with the intensity so how important do you think your training environment plays into your success in certain training sessions as you prep for meets and even with the guys you have around you as you're training? Yeah. Um, I actually work in both. It, uh, it's kind of lift dependent, I've been finding. Uh, bench, I've been finding I can really, really do both. Calm seems to be better. Deadlifts, for sure, needs to be calm for me. Uh, squats, it doesn't really matter. Like uh, the meet, I just did a meet a couple weeks ago, just kind of as a feeler meet. Wasn't really prepped for it, just kind of went in to do it. And I was actually quite calm the whole time, like uh, much more calm than I've been in the gym at some points, even for squats. And it was, you know, I it took a 350 kilo squat and it moved pretty well. And uh, I pretty much just walked up to the bar, knew I was going to do it, hit the squat, walked off the platform, didn't do anything, you know. So I think it's, it's just you got to be able to get there on your own. Um, and then – the, the nice piece about having the guys is when the days, you know, it's a long day or you're not feeling super right or something's bugging you in your, your, in your body or whatever. And then the extra push is nice because then you, you don't need to do it all yourself. You know, you, you do have a support structure that you can just rely on. And there are times like um, it could also probably be a negative thing because you see lots of times, me, Clark, especially, I guess, 
it fin we're we're programmed to do a double and you come up with the two and you got six guys telling you to do another one and you're like well i guess fuck your coach i.e me yeah. <laughs> and here we go we're doing another one so that's not necessarily always the best thing um again it's kind of the jekyll and hyde thing where they're both saying different things and they're both sometimes right so you know do you listen to to Jekyll and you know slow that one down which you will see that does happen sometimes to the kind of the demise of everyone yelling at you to do another one but sometimes you go with Hyde and you train that that next little you know that little energy piece that the the, the, the big deep piece or whatever right so he's always dreaming that so I think balancing what you do you're always going hide, which I tend to do a lot. You end up snapped up, which I have been a little bit for a while. So, but if you always go, if you always go Jekyll, you're not going to have what it takes when you get stuck and you got to really dig into that other gear. Uh, so I think both are a required skill to be kind of, you know, at a higher level. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a fine line there as well. Kind of, as you said, between that Jekyll and Hyde of like, sometimes you've got those people yelling at you, roaring at you to do more. Yeah. And you know, you might have that extra rep, but that extra rep might be what injures you yeah. and kicks you out the rest of that cycle. But at the same time, that could be the one where it's, you really achieve that taste of glory you were looking for. And so I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic because it's almost you're rolling the dice yeah. of just kind of seeing what's going to happen. Yeah. And if your training is good, like if your structure is good, you should be able to have another rep. In theory, like if, yeah. you shouldn't be much, if you're thinking RPs, you shouldn't be much over an eight for most of your working, you know, your workouts. Uh, if you're thinking yeah. in terms of a 12 or 16 week prep. So once in a while to push the extra rep and maybe take it to a nine, maybe a nine and a bit, like you're, you should be able to have that rep, you know? So yeah. um, it's when it's tricky and you're in your last, you know, six weeks, you're not getting a lot stronger. You need to be really dialed in for prep. And then you start bullshitting and putting in these extra reps. That's when you're really going to risk it because not your, your capacity is starting to come down. So you're getting a little bit, you know, less conditioned. Um, you're really focusing on the meat, which is powerlifting, which is one freaking lift. So we shouldn't be in here doing that stuff anyways. Um, and that's when that's when I will kind of step in as a coach and kind of play dad and be like, "Hey, we're not. This is not the time. Like, right now is robot mode, and you don't need to be doing this. You know, off season we can do that. Fifteen weeks out, you can kind of take that, make that decision, or you know, combine the two sets of two into a set of four or whatever. Um, but this close, you gotta just kind of head down. You don't even look at the number on the weight." You just look at the rep, you look at the set, and then you just do exactly what it is. Because for whatever reason, uh, I don't think I have all the programming figured out, but I compete people. And and when they do go into that robot road, uh, robot mode that lasts four or five weeks, it, uh, it has been working out really nicely on the platform. Or to the point where people are mad at me because their third attempts were too easy. The third yeah. attempt was a 60-pound PR or a 100-pound PR or whatever, right? So, yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And, and, and I think kind of as you tap into that, I mean, there's a mentality there of jumping into that, that robot mode of just saying, hey, man, I, I know what I've worked towards. I know the work I put into yeah. it. I'm damn well going to show up on that platform and shut their mouths. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even in that, you know, there's that phrase of, you know, when you go into the squat of don't fuck up for 20 seconds, no. like that's how long it takes to do a rep. Just don't. Mess up. Um, 
So, I mean, speaking to that, what would you say, like, beyond, obviously, there's 12, 16 week years coming up to ultimately that day you step on the platform. What would you say is really the, the secret to staying consistent beyond just the motivation? Because you're going to hit those days in which shit feels heavy. You really don't feel like you're making that progress. What would you say, you know, to those people that are hitting that uh, of pushing through that wall and staying consistent? Um, for myself, um, that almost is a, it's a very intrinsic thing. Like no matter how hurt, how unmotivated I feel, how shitty a session went, whatever it is, I don't know why this happens to me, but no matter what happens, I wake up every day excited to go work out. And it's almost, honestly, I think it's a negative thing because I go when I shouldn't go sometimes. And then, you know, I can kind of, I'm poking the bear and I'm taking a bit of a risk all the time. But so for myself personally, it's a little, it's pretty easy to wake up hungry to go to the gym. It just, it just kind of happens. I don't really know why. I think it's because I have a bit of an obsessive personality. Uh, kind of when I grew up playing different sports, I was like that with every sport I played. Uh, I started my kind of youth with hockey. I was playing, you know, I was a goalie in hockey. I would throw a ball against the wall for hours a day in full ice hockey equipment, you know, with a tennis ball. And then I switched to basketball later. You know, I was about 15, carried a basketball everywhere, shot all the time, you know, lunch, before school, after school, before school, 6 a.m. kind of thing, practices. And then summer would come and I coached camps and then, you know, play a noon hour game with the university guys and then so on, so on. Then I went to university, same thing, all the way through, basketball, basketball, basketball. So then I think just kind of developing that skill over my whole life of just being dedicated to the thing um, has bled into this. For someone else that's having a bit of a struggle, uh, maybe motivation-wise, I think what I've told my guys is that it's a long game. So it's okay to have the lulls. Um, and I like to tell stories. So not so, like, not so much my own stories, but just other stories that I've kind of heard. So you brought up the don't fuck up for 20 seconds, which is a Captain Kirk thing. And he goes, one other thing that he talks about, I like a lot of what he says. Um, another thing that he talks about is when he'd do a meet, he, would, he wouldn't even drive by a gym. He would, he would drive a longer time to get out of the way of seeing a gym because he knew if he saw a gym that he'd go in the gym and he'd start training. So what he would do is he'd take a whole month. He'd take exactly a month, and he just would avoid every gym that he, around so that he didn't have to go into a gym. So I, so I, I kind of tell that story and then uh, kind of segue it into if, you know, this, this you know, powerlifting legend of sorts, right, um, is taking a month off, you know, he wants to train. I don't think Kirk ever had a moment where he was probably not really wanting to train. I think he just kind of had that too. But – if he can get away with taking a month off, you know, and staying out of the gym, a few days or a few bad days isn't going to hurt you either, right? Um, it's about yeah. – um, and then the other thing, the other story I like to tell is the basketball thing, as Jason Kidd said. He said something went like, um, it's not what you put in. It's not uh, how many hours you put in. It's how what you put into the hours, right? So the whole idea of more is not always better. If you're in there bullshitting and taking your time and you got this four hour workout or, you know, you're in the gym for four hours, you're not even really working out. You did all these sets over this time. You know, your your rest periods are crazy long, you know, all this stuff. Your intensity is low. You don't really give a shit versus you go in like I've really experienced this the last, you know, since the uh, since the isolation. 
uh, just in the home gym, taking 45 minutes to an hour. Normally, I'm in the gym for two, two and a half hours, and I'm doing the same amount of work at home now in an hour. And I'm like, that was kind of a reality check. I'm like, shit, have I been like, you know, doing too much, too much John and too much, you know, bullshit. Uh, because I've been getting these crazy, these crazy circuit type round workouts in and doing a whole bunch of work in a short amount of time. And it's just kicking my ass. So it's like, there's a few things there, right? So, uh, it's okay. First of all, to take some time, like time is not going to hurt you. This is not a, an activity where you can practice it all the time. Like if you are a, you know, a basketball player, like I was in you, you roll your ankle and you can't play in games. What would I do? Oh, I'd go shoot free throws for five hours a day. You know, there's stuff you can do all the time, no matter how sore or hurt you are. In powerlifting, there's not. If you're that, you know, if you're that demoralized and you, you need the time and your your brain hurts and your CNS is this and that, and you you know, I mean, I'm not even making a joke. Like, if you are that tired and you're that fatigued and you need the time, go home and eat a steak. That's another thing Kurt says. It's going to do a lot more for you, right? And that's so true. This isn't an activity where you can practice all the time. You know, that actually might be worse for you than a lot of times with powerlifting. So it's a little bit different than how you normally think of a normal activity where you just do more to get better. That's not always the case. The strongest squad on our team, Jack, he squatted 830-something the other day. He's on his way to 900. He's 21 years old. We have him squatting once every 12 days, 10 to 12 days. That's it. He does like six reps every 12 days. Like, yeah. that's it. He's going to squat 900 by the time he's 23 years old as a junior man. You know what I mean? Like, less can be more. And, and obviously, yeah. not everyone's built like him. Not everyone, you know, has the same kind of commitment to it as he does. But – and not everyone's going to be successful on that either. And that kind of comes back to that individual look at people um, and what they need. So – um, there's just there's too many variables to exactly say, but I would say taking a break's okay, and um, that that's kind of the big one. Taking a break's okay, and sometimes less can be more. So if you're beat up like that, you might need the time. Your body's probably trying to tell you something. And then the final thing that I'd say is be real though. Like, are you being you know are you being a flake or are you are you need the time, right? There's a difference, and that comes back to that fine line conversation. Like if you're being a flake, you gotta kind of kick your own ass. Otherwise, it might not be for you. And that's where that tough conversation comes in. Maybe that's not your thing. If you can't kick your own ass, but sometimes you genuinely do need a break. You know. So. Yeah. No, that's good. That's real good. And and I know one of your your phrases that's in your Instagram bio is beating MS yeah. with strength. So uh, not everyone may know this, but obviously you've been dealing with MS. So how has that played into your training? That despite that. And despite the pain, you're still totaling high numbers. You know, you're, you're pushing for this 2K total right now, even despite this isolation. So how has that played in even saying, yeah, fuck your excuses. Yeah. I got MS and you still see him doing this. Um, okay, so kind of backtrack. I was diagnosed 2009. Uh, the day I got it, my parents were super upset. They're crying. Everybody's crying. And uh, I just, I remember saying, I would rather have it than, ha- than have any of you have it. Because if any of you were diagnosed the same day as me, my only wish would have been to kind of, I'd want to take it from them. You know, I'd rather bear it than have them bear it. So I try to treat it as not so much as a, as like a poor me, this sucks. I kind of choose it. I try to treat it as a gift. So something like I got what I wanted in a sense, you know, so maybe that is what happened. Maybe my youngest sister got it. And, you know, my I would have wished, you know, 
that I want to take it from her, all these kinds of things. The same things my parents were saying. I wish I could take this from you. I say, okay, maybe, well, I got that wish, you know? So I kind of treat it as a blessing in a sense. Um, so I get home that day, kind of committed to that mindset. I don't, I just kind of told myself I don't have a choice. It's the mindset I'm committing to. I was still playing basketball at the time. Uh, my first symptoms actually showed up after my first uh, kind of university ID camp, uh, which is kind of ironic, but I got home that day from the diagnosis and then I just went on a long run. I just basically ran until I puked as much as I could puke. Um, with intermittent screams at the sky, just kind of saying that I'm not going to be beaten by this. I had, that was a probably about three or four hours worth of running and screaming. And then I think past that, I, I don't know what happened in my mind, but it just, I just kind of accepted it after that day. And I honestly forget that I have it a lot of the time until someone reminds me that I do have it. Um, so I don't know if that's a healthy or unhealthy coping mechanism, but it has kept me pretty healthy. Um, with relapses here and there, usually a couple a year. Um, but that's kind of the take on that. So treating it as more of a gift and just as a, I like little tests. So I, I like, I like testing myself to get better at little things. So if it's no matter what the, the task is, so I just kind of choose to treat as a test. Maybe it's a test of endurance or fortitude or strength or, you know, um, whatever you may call it, want to call it, right? Uh, something, something for me to beat. Yeah. No, that's good. And so, I mean, even in that, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that can benefit from hearing that uh, because obviously you're not the only one. Uh, and so to, to hear someone say, man, I'm taking this, this is a gift that I have it, you don't. Uh, and I'm going to make deal with what I got and I'm still going to become one of the best. Uh, and so, yeah. I mean, with that, I mean, I'm sure there are, that may be inspiring for me as a random guy, but for you, who is it? What is it out there that's inspiring to you? Uh, Cause obviously I'm sure there, there's athletes out there. You're going to be looking up to regardless, cause there's always somebody better than us out there. Uh, and so oh, yeah. who, who is it out there? It may even just be a non-lifter um, that's really inspiring to you that continues to push you to be a better version of yourself. Um, I think the very first person would be my mom my like my adoptive mom um she just uh i don't know she's she's a pretty amazing person like uh another quick flashback i guess i'll try to keep as quick as i could had a pretty crazy childhood um growing up with my biological mom um bunch of a whole bunch of issues going on with that so eventually uh, skipping a whole bunch of details I basically just left home, um, showed up at my friend's doorstep one day, um, my brother Scott at this point, and I basically just never left. So her name's Colette, and I think she would be my number one person um, because she didn't have to just take in a, you know, I was in early grade 10, so I'd have been about 15 years old. Um, she just kind of took me in. Within a year and a half, she made herself my legal guardian. And then, um, like I said, just kind of never left. And they, they're they still my parents to this day, right? So, or some of my parents. So obviously, my biological mom's still my parent and uh, my dad, too. Um, but so so that's that would be my number one person, um, just because I think that is the truest or one of the truest kind of measures of real strength. So to draw a lot of that from her is a big a big thing for me yeah wow i mean that, that's um, love right there for sure that's that's awesome man 
Yeah. So, um, athletically, um, would be, well, we've mentioned him a bunch, but Kirk, Captain Kirk Kowalski, uh, just really like everything that he that kind of stands for, how his philosophy was on powerlifting and his work with Ripito and stuff like this. Um, and just, you know, it's, he just doesn't complicate it and it doesn't need to be complicated. Like this is a hobby. We're supposed to be doing this for fun. You know, um, if you hate it, don't do it. Yeah. If it stresses you out all the time, don't do it. If you want to do it and you want to make 15 complaints on Instagram every week, don't fucking do this. Like, just don't do it. Um, this should be something that you enjoy, that that brings you joy, that you look forward to doing. And, you know, it's a challenge for yourself. So if it's something that's just causing you anxiety and it's causing you stress and all these things, don't do it. You know, do something else. Like, knit a basket. Like, go scuba diving. I, I don't care. Go collect rocks. Do some other shit that I don't want to do. Uh, and to do something that you actually want to do, right? So, um, and then in, in that kind of mentality is important to me. And I think I try to teach that to my team. Like, that's what's going to discourage you. You're going to discourage yourself. It's not going to be your sore. It's not going to be all this stuff. It's going to be you're in your own head talking about all this shit. So it's like, if you can change your mind frame and be like, this is fun. Like, I am craving this. You can't help but go, Right. But if you're if you're going and you're going to be, you know, it's going to cause you all this stress and all these problems. You don't want to go do that. Like, I don't want to go do anything that causes me stress and problems all the time. I don't want to talk to those people either. You know, nobody does. Um, so kind of to keep it fun. And then his training is his philosophy on training, too. Like he, you know, I, I probably ripped off the Jekyll and Hyde thing from him, too. Yeah. You know, it's just. There's so many things where it's just it, 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 I just see eye to eye with that, uh, where the mindset that he developed over time that I think Harvey just had, like, um, but talking about it as a skill, something you can improve on, and that it takes time. And you need, there's just so many factors, right? Um, keeping it up as a hobby it doesn't need to be the end all be all. If there's one bad day, and just keeping your frame of reference, so. I think athletically or for, you know, from a powerlifting perspective, I definitely look up to him probably the most, um, let alone just his physical prowess, right? Like he was a monster, five foot seven, 270 pounds or something. And you make like 50 inch quads and 40 inch arms, or some crazy thing, you know, he's just a monster. So uh, yeah, just pretty much everything in that realm. And then obviously current guys too, like, uh, I like a lot of the brainy guys, like uh, like my current coach, Trevor Hoffey. He's just a very smart guy. I trust him. Uh, he has a lot of good uh, information he puts out and kind of helps everybody. Um, he's uh, another one for me. Um, and then a few of his, you know, a few of a few other guys just kind of on mentality, like Nick Forte. I like what he has to say most of the time. Uh, obviously, he's a little bit eccentric. I think he knows that. He plays into his character a little bit. But – there's a passionate guy. You want a lesson on passion? You're like, Nick will give you one, you know. I appreciate that. And then what he kind of brings to that level of things. Um, there's a bunch of people, man. Uh, my very first coach was Steve Johnson, Forsaken Warrior. Mm-hmm. Support him till the day I kind of go through this, right? He was one of the initial people that I was like, that power is pretty sweet. I want to be able to, you know, be strong like that. And I want to be able to be strong all the time like that. So, um, those guys still like, uh, whenever I've needed anything, 
whether he's coaching me or not, just kind of reach out. He sends me a message back and kind of has a quick conversation about what a, whatever my question was or whatever. Right. So um, I think that would probably be it um, in terms of kind of direct. And obviously then the freaks that are, you know, like Yuri and these kind of guys. Yeah. Um, it's completely amazing. I, I'm still convinced Yuri's an alien and he can actually total like 4,000, but he just kind of goes in and wins on openers to like make people think he's a human. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So just obviously that's absolutely fascinating um, to kind of see, um, you know, the extent that this can kind of get taken to. Yeah. Well, so, very cool. Uh, and, and I, Kind of over my time of knowing you, I've noticed obviously you have this this connection with Eight Man Strong, uh, and you know especially this phrase "only forward." Uh, I want to just yeah. just for a minute kind of talk into that. You know what is it about that phrase that "only for that mentality of Eight Man" that's really resonated with you so much? Uh, I think is because that's pretty much what I was doing when I was running around that lake screaming at the sky. You know, the day of my diagnosis is just like I finally stall. This thing operates on stress. It operates on, you know, for me, that's the biggest thing. Stress, among other things. Um, so if I'm challenging myself to improve, um, I have to be moving forward. So when they finally released that one, I don't know, a few years ago now, I got the, when the very first one, they brought out that message. I read that and that's all I could think about, right? So I just kind of kept going, replaying back through my mind all the time. Um with that, with that exact phrase. So uh, this, it just seemed very fitting to my situation um, to where, and I think that's kind of their goal to have something that applies to a lot of people. So, um, but that one for me just really was it. So just to keep moving um, because I've really noticed with my, with my disease is if I do become stagnant or I'm not challenging myself in a variety of ways, my symptoms do show up and they show up in a very, very, very quick amount of time. Uh, sometimes within half an hour. So it's like, I need to be doing stuff. I don't like wasting time. I, I like to, like, even as I'm talking to you right now, I can't even see you and I'm talking to the computer. I'm like making patterns on the side of my, uh, beside the computer with broken pieces of toothpicks. You know, and it's like, I don't know if that's actually making me better at something or if I'm just fidgeting to stay focused. But like, there's something, you know, I'm being, at least I'm telling myself I'm being productive, doing something all the time. Yeah. Um, even if it's just, you know, just, I don't know. I don't like doing absolutely nothing. I'd much rather be playing a video game or, you know, doing a, playing a board game or playing on the computer or watching a video or watching even a movie or just, just something. I don't really like lull times. Yeah. I don't really like waiting in lines too much unless I have something to talk, someone to talk to or something like this, but it's just, I feel like the only forward message for me is just get better emotionally, get better, you know, physically, obviously the powerlifting and training side of things, get better mentally. So just trying to read and stay current with even the news or just new research and different kinds of things that I'm passionate about. Um, I don't know, just trying to show some growth all the time. So uh, another one, I guess, just with relationships and people, just like when I fucked up and just try to, I try to talk about this thing where I have a box where it's like all of my things that I've done that I'm not proud of myself for doing kind of go in that box. So one example would be like yelling at a girl, you know, I yelled at a girl a few years ago. I feel like I scared life out of her, something I'm not proud of. 
Mm. Um, kind of put that in the box. Like, this is something where you don't do this again, you know, and I hold myself accountable, those kinds of things. So, um, because that's not somebody I want to be. So I kind of use that mentality of that box and be like, this is the things that you can do this way you don't do. Um, it just became a very easy way to, for me to sort appropriate action. Uh, again, so that's that only forward piece. It's like I fucked up here. I'm not proud of this. I'm owning it. Like I can, I can say sorry. I can apologize. I can explain whatever I need to do to kind of get through that moment and know that I did it. And then just be like, this is something that I don't want to do again. So now just commit to that shit. Like move forward. You know, become better from that. Um, so I think that's really where it resonates for me in a bunch of different ways. So emotionally physically and you know with socially i guess relationships and yeah. yeah no that, that's good that's really good uh because yeah i mean it's even in something that i've i've kind of started to say to myself you know that only for mentality of it's like hey you know, you're you're gonna do things wrong i mean we're human right we we mess up uh daily uh and, and it's saying well your only option is to move forward your only option is to become a better version of yourself because if you keep looking back you're never going to move forward um right. and i and I think that's just so valuable um, as well. I mean, you kind of say, you know, you hate that lull. You hate, you know, slowing down, not being engaged with stuff. So, I mean, as you look at like a typical week for you, I mean, you're, you're working full time, you're coaching, you're training. How, how do you balance all that without also going insane? You know, because I know for myself, I'm someone that loves operating at this high octane level. And I think a lot of powerlifters are the same way. You know, we like uh, the music loud. We like uh, people being intense. We like the, the weight heavy or cars fast. It, it's a very high level mentality. Yeah. How do you maintain that without burning out and, and finding yourself fizzling out at the end of the week or getting to 10 o'clock on, on a Monday night and thinking, holy shit, I got nothing left to get through this week. I pretty much feel like that lots of nights, even on days that I don't feel like I did a lot. Yeah, so I think yeah. that just kind of comes with it. Um, how do I not fizzle out? I don't know. I teach. I am a, I'm a grade six teacher in elementary school. So I got, uh, you know, 20, 22 kids that I look after all day. Uh, they somehow give me more energy than they take. I don't know. I feel like that's a mystery to most people. I say that too. Yes. It is the only job I've ever had where I go and I feel better when I, you know, kind of get, you know, through the day. And because uh, it's it's always a good day for the most part. Right. So I get a lot of energy from them. Um, then, you know, I, I usually head home, get a bit more to eat, have a nap, kind of get that 30 minutes. I feel like that's a really important piece of my day because um, when I skip it, I really do feel it, feel it hard at night. Um, but if I can even just get even 20, 20, 30 minutes, uh, it feels like I slept for four hours. Sometimes I wake up and I have drool all over the place yeah. I'm just gone from the day um, and the day before and the day before and all this accumulated fatigue, most likely. But I have that kind of rebounder. I wake up, you know, get a little bit of caffeine going or something like that. And I feel great. You know, I feel like I just just had a three hour nap sometimes and when it really clicks it feels awesome so then you know then i get to train or train somebody or train with somebody which is a really nice time something i just really like to do as well um so they they complement each other nice like my full-time job of teaching is like something i've always wanted to be a teacher so i i know that's something where i like to be uh, and then coaching obviously is not too far from teaching so if i can implement some of my 
you know, some of the skills that I like to do is talk to people and try to help. Um, with coaching, it's another kind of a win position. So I'm not really doing things I don't want to do. So I think between the nap and then having, you know, the, the fortune to be able to do a couple of things that I'm passionate about and something that doesn't, that actually provide me energy instead of um, drain me of energy has been a big thing. Like for myself, I don't really have much experience, but something like construction, I feel like would just kick my freaking ass because it's just like, I don't have an interest there. You know, like I have an interest in teaching my kids. Like I look forward to seeing them uh, with this, with this, uh, you know, the isolation action right now. Uh, we're having Google Meets, so we go on the app, and you know, I get to see everybody like a Skype type call. And the first one that I got to do was yesterday, and it was a great time. You know, we all talked for almost an hour, me and these kids. So, and I was looking forward to it. You know, so it's easy to not be super drained when you're doing stuff you want to do, right? Uh, and yeah. I'm thankful to be, you know, in a position where. Both the things that I'm doing, um, well, I guess all three in terms of teaching, training, and then coaching are things that I really like doing and things where I can really, you know, give back a little bit and something where I have some some knowledge. Like I feel like I'm a decently smart guy where I can teach some people some stuff and I've gotten pretty strong at some things so I can help teach them that. So just kind of that give back piece is energizing too. So I am certainly tired at the end of the night. Um but I think uh, I combat that with being able to look forward to what I get to do every day. Like I'm excited to, you know, I'm not always excited first thing in the morning because I'm not a morning person, but by 10 a.m. I feel really good. And, you know, I'm excited for that day to kind of go. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, so kind of switching uh, tracks here a little bit, um, you know, obviously the hot topic in, in powerlifting is, is PEDs uh, and, and it, it's SARMs and steroid usage. And you, you've got people on one side, you know, like, like Steve Johnson, who's pretty open about saying, Hey, you want to come get some SARMs? Like talk to me about it. And you've got another whole branch of people who obviously are, are, are taking steroids that are never going to talk about it. Cause it's kind of taboo. But then on the other side of things, you've got people like Ray Williams, Blaine Sumner, Russell Orhe, who, are competing in these drug tested federations where they can get randomly drug tested at any time. And so the publicly assumed information, and I'm saying that in, in quotes is that they're not on anything. So my, my question to you, you know, as an elite lifter, is, what is your perspective uh, on people that choose to use PEDs? Is it something that's really a necessary evil if you want to reach the top uh, or, or is it something that's really just commonplace and people should really get over it? Because I know that that's just such a controversial topic, especially among the online community. Yeah, I think I don't. I think guys like Ray, um, I think those and Russell and these kinds of guys, I'm sure they have the integrity to, you know, actually be clean um, because this is one of the only things in the planet where you have an option. So, yeah. like, why lie about it? Who gives a shit? Like you, sure. you can do either. There's a division for both. So it's like it becomes a less of a, you know, controversy in my mind when it's like it's more of a character thing. Like if you're going to go and try and cheat, the, you know, the the tested, untested divisions, it's like, why? You don't need yeah. to. Like, just don't do it. So it's like, I don't know. It just be, kind of becomes a, a, a nuisance to me in a sense. Um because of that, 
Um, and I'd like to think, and, I, and I'm sure these guys do, like they're extremely talented, extremely strong people. Um, you know, like you were saying, Russell and Ray Williams and whoever else, right? Um, there's a guy in Canada, Bryce Crotch, just absolutely amazing strength athlete, right? Big deadlift out of Calgary. Um, I'm sure they are. Like, why wouldn't they be? They have an option to do the other thing. Like, and you, then you see guys that are doing things like they do IPF and they're drug tested beds with the, the IPL tested side and all this stuff. And then they decide they want to switch one day and then they just go over the other one. Like, that's fine too. Then no one cares. People yeah. only give a shit when they're trying to cheat the, cheat the system. So it's like, and then even then, I think, uh, I don't know. I think it's at a point where uh, I think the commonplace mindset, I don't necessarily think this is necessarily my mindset, but I think the commonplace is anyone really strong must be, you know, so I think guys will point fingers at guys like Ray and Russell and these freaks that, you know, do compete tested. And it's like, you don't know. And like, honestly, like who cares? Like make a choice for you and put your head down and do some work and you'll probably get a little bit stronger if you eat freaking craft dinner all day and just have a decent program and a mentality, you'll probably get stronger. Like obviously not optimal at all, but you probably will. Maybe stop worrying about all this other shit and just actually did some work. You know, there's such a lack of work going on and everyone's looking for an excuse and everyone's trying to do better. And it's just like, I even caught some flack. Like I just did this meet, ate by comfort, dropped like 15 pounds, did a, like a six week water cut to make weight. And then all of a sudden, I had some shit where it's like, you didn't make weight. You weighed in yourself. You did, like, shut up. Like, yeah. worry about your own thing. Like, geez, despite irrefutable evidence, you know what I mean? So it's like, people are going to say whatever they want anyways, whether they are or not. It's unfortunate for guys like Ray who have committed his entire life to this thing. Like, the guy weighs, what does he weigh, 400 pounds or some crazy thing? Like, yeah. You don't just become 400 pounds. He eats all day, every day. And it's like, you don't think that takes work? Like, that's the hardest part of lifting. That's the hardest part of strength sports is eating that food. If you ate like Ray, watch your strength go up. It's not that hard. It's not that weird. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, but people instead, they need to send, spend the four hours they should be eating bitching about something that they don't have any control over. And they're just trying to find an excuse to get better. And it's like, turns out everyone did the same thing. At some point, 300 pounds on their back was heavy for everyone. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, the, the difference is the people who were where it was heavy at 300 didn't go on their phone and start talking shit to people who are make 800 look easy. Like Ray or someone like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Instead, yeah, they just kind of put their head down, put some food in their mouth, and you go, got to, got to where they need to be. You know, yeah. Regardless of the choice they make to do a tested or untested lifestyle or federation or whatever you want to say, it's like it, it's still going to come down to work. Take whatever you want, yeah. as much of it as you want, and nothing will happen if you're working out or training like super soft, you know, and spending your time yeah. in wrong places. Yeah, no, I agree, and I and I think there is there's a especially amongst people who aren't you know, high level athletes that they just assume, Oh yeah. If you take steroids, you're suddenly going to become really strong. Yeah, sure. No, like if you don't put work in, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. It's just like, if you take supplements, nothing's going to happen. If you just take supplements and continue to eat like shit and don't work out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so, weird when yeah. you don't do anything, nothing happens. Hey, 
Yeah, I know. It's such a crazy yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. Well, so a, a, a couple more, uh, just kind of like more rapid stuff, kind of as we as we wrap up here. Um, and no pun intended as I ask this next question. Um, but as you look at, you know, people who sleeve squat versus wrap squat, uh, you, you got a lot of people who just say, oh, man, like I can see such and such can add 100 pounds to their squat if they jump into wraps. What, what for you would you say, hey, this is a time for you to maybe try squatting wraps? This is a time where you probably shouldn't. Hey, you're probably squatting 225 at 275. Maybe don't get into wraps right now. What's the differentiator for you? You think at a time where people should be transitioning into that? Uh, is it just their own personal opinion? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely have some thoughts there. I think just build a base. Like if you don't, if you don't move any considerate weight where you're not protecting yourself in some sense, I don't really think it's a requirement. Like um, I don't think it's super even helpful. Uh, to be wrapping something like a 400-pound squat or a 350-pound squat or something like this, um, simply because you're you're conditioning yourself to not be able to, you know, necessarily handle it. And I'm a wrap squatter. You know, I compete wrap. So, and I'd still say that. Like, you want to be building the base. I think the best wrap squatters in the world are mostly doing sleeve work. You know, look at, like, Logan Chapman. The guy's a freak. Uh, Dan Bell. These guys aren't in wraps all the time. You know, they're wrapping very, very rarely. Um, sometimes two, three sessions only before me. You know, their work is being done uh, with their body. And I think if you, again, it's not that weird. Like, you're going to get a lot stronger if you use your body uh, rather than relying on equipment all the time. So, I don't know, even personally, and then the, the thing where, you know, well, this guy, you got to take 100 pounds off of that because it's a wrap squat. And it's like, uh, I don't know. Some people, you might even get a little bit more. Some people might get less. I, I'm sure I get around about 80, maybe I'd say, if I'm, you know, got a wrap that I like. If it's a shitty wrap, I've used wraps where I did worse. Uh, I'm thinking back, I tried out, for whatever reason, I tried out these Inzer wraps, a gripper ones for me, they just were not the thing. One of my training partners, uh, Brad Shepard, uh, uh, he's, uh, you know, he just squatted 826 in his meet. He got, he almost came up with 400 kilo. Uh, he wore the Inzer, those yellow grippers. Uh, we were about five weeks out. He took like, I don't know, 775 for a double or something. And I was like, well, I'll try those. And I wrapped them up and I'd like, I damn near got stable with like 620 or something. You know, which I had just hit in sleeves, like no problem. But like, I don't know. I think there's a learning curve to them. I think more importantly, there's a base you need to build. Um, and honestly, the only reason I got into wraps in the first place is uh, early 2018, uh, April, late April. Uh, I actually got a staph infection and the damn thing like ate my freaking left leg. So I had basically no skin from my mid thigh down. Um, so when I got back to training, like, you know, I took, I think I took 18 days off, walked back in the gym, gym owner said, welcome home. And he goes, what are you training? I'm walking in all wrapped up with like cancer bandage and gauze and all this polysporin. And I go legs and he just shakes his head and just knows that I'm training legs. Like I'm going into squat. Right. So I go in and squat on this bum ass leg. Damn near get staple with like 500 pounds or something. So that's when I started to learn wraps because it's like I couldn't put on a sleeve because I couldn't pull it over like wounds and flat. 
yeah. so I got this, you know, whatever rap from whoever, just some little rap, and then just started to wrap my needs for some support. Uh, and then I kind of just advanced through that and I was like, oh, well, let's try these ones, try these ones. And then I just really learned how to, to like them. Um, but yeah, I think it's very, it's important to build that base. You got to be building a base. Use your body to move the weight and all of a sudden your body will get stronger, you know. Um, and then when it comes meet time or, you know, your, your heaviest squats, support yourself with a wrap. You know, maybe you can get the 60 to, I don't know, I see some guys get maybe 120, 30 pounds out of them. Yuri gets lots, it looks like. Right? You see Yuri yeah. in training, he's not taking anything over seven, I don't think, in wraps. And then he goes and opens at 900 pounds. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he has well over seven in sleeves, but why? You know, when you're at those weights, you know, uh, relative to body weight, your joints, you know, they don't want that all the time. So support them a little bit. No problem. I have no problem with that. You don't need support when you're working at 70% or your loads are, you know, low enough on your, on your, uh, you know, low enough on your anatomy and on your system that you're going to be kind of getting the diminishing return or even a negative return where you create some sort of imbalance, right? Because the whole point of a wrap is to help you out of the hole. So if you're, you're in wraps, if you're wearing your wraps all the time, you're all constantly getting this boost out of the hole. Well, where's your muscle structure? Your quads are getting a nice workout because you're getting into that quad push. But where is your, you know, your hamstrings? Where are your hips? Are they getting optimal, you know, kind of recruitment there? Probably not, right? So you got to be looking at, again, specific, uh, specific, uh, specific, holy, can't speak, man. Um, you got to look at the specific individual, right? So uh, specificity, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, and then kind of dial it down. Weight, load management, weight of that person. What kind of reps are they doing? There's so many factors, right? But for the, I would say the 98% of the time, even rap squatters should be working out with sleeves, right? Do your training with your body, your body strong. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a stronger wrap squat. You'll have a stronger equipped squat probably too if you learn how to use the, use the gear, right? Yeah. And, and I think that it's interesting because kind of along that same vein, you know, you have those people who, you know, they've just started lifting. Maybe this is their, their first uh, training cycle they've ever done. And they see people like Yuri and they're like, oh, you know, they're training with a belt. They, they got wraps on. So they assume that with their 135 pound bench, they need to be wearing elbow sleeves and wrist wraps and a belt. And, and they're gearing themselves all up when there's no base. Um, and they just end up using it as a yeah. And I think people can probably do that the same way with, with knee wraps and even yeah. with sleeves. Well, and wrist wraps too. Like, uh, I'm, I'm constantly benching, you know, 450 plus almost to 500 pounds of stuff, no wrist wraps. Not every, not every section, but often. And people are like, why don't you, why don't you wrap your wrist? You get more out of it. Well, like, uh, cause I don't want my wrist to be fragile, man. Like I'm trying to train everything. I want everything to be strong. A stronger system is going to lead to a stronger output, right? Like we have this protective gear to keep us protected, but at the same time, your body is designed to keep you protected too. So if you train your body some of the time, not necessarily all the time in risk injury, but you train those things up, all of a sudden they're going to get a little bit more fortitude. You're going to, you're going to have stronger, you're going to have stronger tendons. You know, your muscles are going to, you know, going to be a little bit more rigid around those those a uh, little bit more um, maybe um, weak areas right kind of 
uh, biomechanically weak areas like joints, right? So you can train all that. So why don't we train all that some of the time? Or if you're doing, you know, you're doing maybe you're in a capacity block and you're doing some higher volume stuff. Why are you all geared up? Don't squat in your knee sleeves maybe for a bit. Don't wear your wrist straps. Don't wear your belt. Just make your body stronger, you know? And then when you add all that shit back on, all of a sudden you feel like a mutant, right? Uh, so I think, yeah, again, it's kind of the same thing as an knee wrap. So just don't use it as a crutch because then when you don't have it, your wrists are going to hurt with a 205 squat, you know, and that sucks. Exactly. You don't want that. Exactly. And, and, and it's even recognizing it's not necessarily one size fits all. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got these bigger guys that even for myself, like if I were to try to deadlift conventional, I can't put a belt on because I won't be able to get into position. Um, whereas, you know, you see, really just assume that, oh, because this one person I followed since I was 13 does this. That's how my body should work. That's how my training should look like. And like, I don't, I don't bench with wrist wraps. Oh, because I actually think it, it negatively impacts my wrist flexibility. So that's definitely an interesting, yeah, comment for sure. The super interesting thing that um, you just said quick about uh, watching somebody else and that's how your body should work. Holy hell, that is a crisis. Like I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like I watch guys, I think a guy like Chris Bridgeford and watch his deadlift and it's just phenomenal. You know, and he's always pissed off about it. It's still just phenomenal. It's hard to find flaws and he's being, he's such a perfectionist and so good at it that it's just incredible and i look at that and i'm like oh that's what i should do i can't do that exactly like that and probably no one can unless he's built exactly like him it's like we gotta people gotta start watching people that are not built like them like it's, it's okay maybe to watch somebody built with proportions very similar to you to see what they're doing but to try and to try and uh recreate somebody else no don't do that like that is good recipe for disaster you have to create you with the with, and that's why it's important to have somebody in your corner, somebody smarter than you, somebody stronger than you that has a keen eye for, you know, movement. Because if you can't identify those things yourself, which most people can't, uh, most people just can't see themselves that way anyways. You need the outside perspective. Um, you're going to, it's setting up for disaster. Got to be making you. You can't be making you into somebody else. Like that is just not, never, never a good thing. Um, very tricky to find someone that looks or moves exactly like you do. Um, so you got to work with what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I know when I, when I first started lifting, um, as you know, I was with uh, on hybrid performance methods, you know, group training um, back a few years ago. And I remember, you know, given I'm a, a, a freshman in, in college and I'm thinking to myself, man, like these guys are gods, you know, cause I, I knew nothing else. And so remember I'd watch Hayden bow, you know, the absolute king of grinding anything. And I was like, oh man, like that's how my lifting should look. And of course it shouldn't because the guy's like five, nine and 185 pounds and I'm six, two and two seventy. So yeah, I, I definitely think, yeah, there is truth behind that. Cause I think so easily these lifters can create these cult followings on Instagram and everyone just assumes, damn, I should look exactly like that. I should. They're going to get hurt like if you're doing that. Easy. You know, like exactly. one thing I, I talk about with a lot of people that come to me, I'll say this question. I'll go, does somebody cue you to go chest up? And they'll go, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, there That's you go. Me. And in, in a lot of cases, it's not that way. Like, it's just you're not going to be able to do it. Your hip structure, your torso to leg ratios, 
There's so many things that play. What your your shoulders, like the way your shoulders are built, the mobility you have in your shoulders, the way you're able to grip the bar. There's so many things that if you're just constantly thinking chest to the wall in front of you or something like this, I hear that one too. And it's just like, oh my God, like you are going to just snap your shit up. And it's like that cue, yep. like I go back to Jack or I go back to Brad or some of these really nice squatters. It's like, yeah, you could probably cue them to be a chest up guy because their legs are a foot and a half long and their torsos are four feet long. You know, that makes sense yep. for that. If you're a long legged guy like me, like you a little bit too, it's that's that is just going to send my low back into hell, you know, yeah. like. And, you know, everyone's got all these SI problems because you're not built like a middle man like these guys that can handle that all the time, you know. Um, you you have to adapt. That's Again, you need to train your body, not what you see somebody else's body. You're not going to just transform into that other guy's body. So you got to – we ought to be very cognizant of what we're working with. That's – I think comes back to full circle. The first thing you ask me about philosophy of training is just having a keen eye for who are you looking at. How can we make that person stronger? Not what works for everybody else. Like what's going to, what really is going to work for that person? How do they move and how can we maximize the, the efficient, maximize the efficiency of their movement and be able to load their body structure in a way that physically makes sense, right? Because sometimes we're snapping people up. We're putting the chest up and we're not, the physics just look horrible. It doesn't even take a good eye to see that. You can see a shitty squat or a shit deadlift or whatever. Like we need to figure out what's going to work best for that person, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So last big question for you here, and then I'll hit you with a couple rapid fire. When you look ahead to your future for lifting, uh, as you look ahead to the team, uh, as you coach sponsorships, uh, it's everything. Um, you know, some people say, hey, it's a bad idea to give yourself a long term goal, because then when you hit that long term goal, then what's next? Um, so not asking that, but as you look ahead, like, what are some of these milestones you're looking to hit? I know you're looking at uh, total in 2K, I know you're, uh, you know, want to continue being the best teacher that you can be. Uh, but as you look ahead to your future, what what would you say are some of those milestones for you, both coaching uh, and athletically for yourself? And how do you plan on um, coaching? Um, I just want to be putting in the same amount of effort. Like I realize it's pretty new still um, coming up on two years, I guess. Um, like I said, it happened by accident. So this isn't something that I um, necessarily planned in a sense. Uh, something I do very much enjoy, however, and want to continue doing. Um, but in terms of coaching, just to not make it a money-making, greedy business. Like, I want to be producing results. And if that means I have to, you know, I only have 30 people right now, um, which is manageable. Um, I'll, I'll sometimes scoot to, like, 31 or 32 um, otherwise I'm turning, I have to turn the people away. Right. So, and I'm not, it's not like it's crazy busy where I'm turning 15 people away a week, but maybe it's one or two, you know, every couple of weeks, something like this, um, which is, which is sad. Usually I will reconnect or try to reach out if there's a time or somebody, you know, a financial thing or they're moving on or whatever the case may be, or they were just doing a, you know, a six month or a, a, a meat prep or whatever it may be. Um, if I try to reach back out, but the main goal with coaching is to just really be giving my attention to it. So it's like, I'm not late on responding. Um, if there's a question, I'm trying to get the videos out that people might need or make whatever they need. Just try just to really be available and be, um, have that high communication. 
because I feel like a lot of the people that come to me are extremely frustrated with people they've worked with um, in terms of, yeah. well, I, you know, I couldn't get any of this or this the other day, I got, I got this one guy, Devin, he uh, is out of New Jersey and he sent me a message. We were talking about his back and his hip. He's been just grinding through all these injuries for seemingly forever, 13, 12 months, something like this. And we went through a few drills, broke down his squat, pulled him to a bunch of different shit, backed off his weight, and like literally the next day I just checked on him. Hey man, like how do you feel today? That was a lot of new stuff. You did a good job, like you know, trying to adapt. He's just like, I don't have any pain. He's like, I'd actually feel better. And he's like, he's like said something like along the lines of, I feel like I could just bust into tears. I feel like I could cry. Like this is just insane. Like, how has no one told me this? I've seen this person, I've been coached by this person, I've done this and this. And it's like, well, it's because I also have been through that injury problem. I've been through all the same shit and all the same frustrations, you know? And it's like, it, it just comes back. So they, my goal for coaching is to have those responses. So to have that response means I have to be connected and I have to be integrated and in like communicating at a high level uh, and, and working. Like, I, I think a lot of the time people, you know, online coaches or whatever, um, they're not working. You have to work. You know, like if you're not working, you're not going to help somebody. If you're just putting out whatever shit you can find or you're replacing somebody else's programs or whatever you're doing, like, and you're not working to make that person better, they're not going to get better. You know, there's there's too many elements yeah. in this. It's a very simple, simple sport, but it has a lot of elements, you know. Um, and if you're not working actively on them, you're not going to help that person. And, like, my goal is to be helping people. And, like, I want them moving better. I want them getting stronger. Like, um, and that's the goal for me. I don't have I don't have all the credentials in the world. I don't have all these things. I would never try to, you know, program someone solely for nutrition. I've had people approach me for that. If it's if it's strength-based with a bit of nutrition, sure, I can help you. But if it's you want a diet, like, I'm redirecting you. If you want some GPP work, I'm redirecting you. Like, I'm here to help you get strong because that's what I – my experiences, I, I've seen myself get stronger and I've been able to help people get stronger. So it's like to be honest with them, provide a pro provide a system that's going to help and work and be, you know, available. Um, I'm so tired of getting emails. Hey, I was with so-and-so. I'm two weeks out from my meet. I don't know how to do my cut because no one will fucking respond to me. It's like, holy shit. Mm. So now I'm writing out these water cuts and all this bullshit. And it's like, you know, for free. Because I want them to do well, and they're grateful and everything, and you know it's you know it rarely turns into something profitable for me. But the name of the game has to be to help. You're there to help. If you're there to try to make a million dollars, yeah, red flag for me, man. Like it just that just doesn't seem yeah. that doesn't seem moral. That's not what coaching is. That's not what teaching is either. You think I make a lot of money as a teacher? I don't think so. Like you know, like everyone's always complaining. You know, teachers don't make any money. All this kind of stuff, and it's like. You're not there to make money. You're there for the kids. Coaching. You're not there to make a million dollars. You're there to help these athletes. Like, what is your what? Where is your moral compass? Yeah. What is your goal? Like, my goal is to help, uh, and I think I want to keep that. That's my goal for coaching. Athletically, would be yeah. just numbers. Like, I don't really have specific numbers. I just want them better. I know I'm capable of a lot more. Like I said, I just kind of walked into the meet I did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, pretty much game day decision. I was doing bench only. Had a number in my mind. I wanted to go like a 225 kilo bench. Uh, day day before, I guess, weigh-ins. I was like, uh, 
well, I was in my mind for about a week, uh, but I really made the decision day before, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Like, I'll just take a squat. I took a couple squats, you know, 10 days out, I took a squat. 20 days out, I took another squat. Took a decent squat, didn't deadlift it all into the meat. Um, total like 1901 or 1902 or something like that. Bench didn't go as well as I did. I lost a little bit of control on my second and third, and the bar was just kind of sinking ever so slowly on my chest, and I couldn't get a press command to save my life. Uh, so I got to clean that up and just a little bit to learn from. So, um, yeah, I think we'll be okay moving forward. I think I have a lot more. I pretty much sandbagged every lift, uh, and I wasn't, you know, pretty much on a no prep. So I think 2K is reasonable, and that's definitely not the end goal. So. But just to be better, I just want to be better. I think if I stay with that, I get out of that paradox where you were talking about people will say, don't set a long-term goal. Because if you reach it, what do you do? So if I say, let's just get better, like, when does that end? That shit doesn't end. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, But yeah. it also causes one more problem where it's like, nice, I hit this 350-kilo squat. was a meat PR for me. Uh, lots left in the tank. Skip my third just to play it safe so I didn't get hurt. So my goal was not to get hurt. And it's like... Uh, I was happy with that for, I don't know, until I was probably got the belt off, you know? And it's like, okay, well, now i got to get better. I got all these awards. I won the best looking thing. And it's like, what do they mean to me now? It's like, yeah, they're great to look at. They are no longer an award. They are a a symbol for me to look at and be like, that is where I reached, and now where am I going? Like, now let's beat that, right? Like, it's it's just better. Let's get better. And I think it, then you avoid that, you know, that crisis of where am I going? Yeah, no, that's good. And I, and I mean, even on your own you know, coaching side of things, those that are listening, you know, Larry's been coaching me for the last few months and it was off of me pretty much saying, hey, like I have literally zero money right now, but I've got a meet coming up. And you were like, man, I'm going to work with you regardless. And, and I think that really does just speak so much to your character. As that's what the sport's about. It's supposed to be about, you know, it's something that I want to work with my guys as well. Um, even, yeah, I'm kind of in that same place. And when you first started, I'm like, yeah, I'm still working on getting certifications, but I know I know enough to get some guys stronger that are just starting um, and, and making sure that the focus is just bettering them. It's not about filling my pocket. It's not about filling your pocket. It's about helping people out with what we know and, and being honest about what we know, where our limitations are. But I'm saying, hey, man, like I was putting this earth for a reason. I might yeah, as well sure. damn well find out what it is. Um, and yeah, even as kind of as you said, of just there's that connection that first week of me saying, hey, man, like I'm coming off an oblique injury and I can't squat more than 410 right now without pain. And you being like, do X, Y, Z, did it, lost all the pain, squatted yeah. 523. Weird, weird how you move uh, when you when your body's not pissed off, we move better and lift more. Yeah, yeah, so weird. What happens with, yeah we actually treat yeah. our bodies the right way. Um, all right, so a couple just okay. rapid fire questions for you. Uh, first off, go to. Uh, probably burrito. That's not really a cheat meal, though. Let me change. That's uh, not cheat meal. I just eat that all the time. Probably like a chocolate bar or something like that sometimes. <laughs> chips. I like chips, but I don't really – like. it's kind of nice. His cheat meals are just like meals, man. Like I'm having chips three times yeah. a week. Like I don't know. I guess that's a cheat meal. Probably chips. Maybe a pizza. Yeah. I try not to eat too much pizza and all that shit, but pizza's a good one. Um, out of the three lifts, I think I may already know the answer to this. Squat, bench, or deadlift? What is I hate that it changes all the time. Uh, I started this because I wanted to deadlift. I actually deadlifted 800 pounds before I squatted seven and benched four. Um, that's why I picked Steve because I was, I, 
you know, I deadlifted 700 pounds within shit, three months of starting lifting. I think, I think I, my first day I pulled 505. I pulled like 635 six weeks later or something, pulled seven in like three months after that. Um, all conventional, didn't know anything else. Didn't know what I was doing. I was rolling the bar in. I was yanking the hell out of it. Uh, built up some pretty crazy big erectors doing bad shit. Still don't know how to deadlift conventional without doing that. And uh, so it was deadlifts. Like deadlifts was just awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, never really got hurt doing deadlifts, even yanking them like that. Got hurt doing other stupid shit like carries. Kind of put that on the side, but I would have to say squats. Just because uh, kind of full circling back to the energy piece, squats are the one where I can really go insane. And I don't know what it is about that moment, but that's the best moment ever. So um, when you come up with a squat where you know you just buried the shit out of it and you're coming up and it's just like you know you, you know you have it or when you unrack it, you know you have it. A moment of like relief and it's probably a little bit uh, physical too when the bar comes off of you and you get like a rush because you're being crushed by like 800 pounds or whatever it is, 770 pounds or whatever you're doing. Uh, but squats and I think squats is it's the it's the lift of strength man like you got like headless you can lever the bar and you can you know you get some leg strength and you get it up all this stuff is great bench I don't know like unless you're a bench specialist I don't know how it can be your favorite but that's just personal maybe opinion and then squats is just like you have to own the whole time you have to own it like you have to walk it out you have to meet you have to sink the shit out of it. You have to push it up. You have to wait. You have to walk. Like it's just like you're doing that's work. Like you're doing real work on that. So, and I I just love the uh, the idea of squat. Like um, I love how it just it can be so terrifying, but it's just it's such a it's the it's a fight. Like you you I don't know maybe it's the danger of squats. I don't know what it is, but squat for sure. Squat. No. Yeah, uh, I can relate to that for sure. I mean, the first time I squatted 500 back uh, April of last year, I, I've watched back the video. And there's literally a point where you can see as I come up that look in my eyes of knowing yeah. I'm going to finish it. And I almost started laughing because it was just like, man, like finally, like oh, yeah. this shit buried me three weeks ago. Uh, and so I definitely, definitely know that for those. Even the same way with that 520 yeah. uh, from last training cycle. Uh, I could just tell when I just buried it more than I even meant to because I almost yeah. got scared at the bottom and still finished it. There's just that thought of, damn, like finally, finally that plateau is over. And I think squat somewhere where you can really feel that difference of your just your yeah. body getting stronger. Um, uh, even more so than, I mean, I hate bench, but I also bench 280, weighing 270. So I hate bench, but uh, it is what it is. Um, well, hey, man, that, that's all I've got for you. Uh, just so, so grateful you take the time and, and just chat, uh, get to hear a little bit more about your story. I mean, I think I've learned probably more from you in the last hour and 15 minutes yeah. than probably have in the last two years of following you. Um, that definitely just, you've got an incredible story uh, and definitely only the beginning of that. Um, just as you continue to coach and uh, kind of just as shit falls in your lap and you just kind of make do with it and create stuff. Uh, I think it's just awesome. Um, so, so, so grateful honor that you're able to, to chat and find some time. Um, but yeah, any, any final thoughts pitch for big cat itself? Um, no, I don't really have a pitch. I just, uh, just to kind of encourage people to, you know, it's a tough time, probably unprecedented times. I don't think many of us have ever lived through something like this. 
So I think just to really be kind to the people you're quarantined with is probably my message right now. And just, you know, tensions might run a little bit high because, you know, you cage up anything long enough, they're probably going to lose their mind a little bit. So I think just to really remind that you're likely quarantined with someone that you love and to, um, you know, treat this as a, as a blessing in a sense, you know, kind of what I do with the disease factor. It, it can be a blessing, you know, grow closer to somebody, uh, learn them a little bit more, learn how to treat them properly and um, kind of just to be a good person in this time. Because I think if we let go of those things that are most important to us and um, we're going to have a, you know, a tough time in a lot of other areas very quick. Yeah, that's good. All right, man. Well, hey, if you guys are listening in, uh, thank you for listening to this, this interview, getting a chat. Uh, if you want to find Larry's big cat dot one zero uh, on Instagram, reach out to him uh, for sure. Uh, cool, thank, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.